Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back and happy Wednesday. I hope your day is off to a good start. I'm really excited because today I get to chat with Emily Clement and we first met actually at a one-day retreat where we were helping work on our marketing mindset and messaging. It was back in 2018 and it was like a lovely summer day. We were all sitting lakeside and learning, getting the tools to grow our businesses and take them to the next level. It was really fun. And I think at our same table, we had two Clements and then also me and Emily. So there were two Emilies and it made for a very fun little icebreaker and conversation starter. I personally am always a fan of another Emily. I don't know what it is. I think it's just I mean, it's a fabulous and timeless name. So thanks, mom. And sometimes I feel like, you know, when you share a name with somebody, you have like this inner knowing of what it's like to live life with the connotations and the conclusions and the assumptions that go along with being that name. I actually heard this really great hidden brain episode on the power of names once and how it can actually change your entire life perception depending on what name you experience life with. So I'm very happy to be an Emily, and I'll be anxious to hear how today's guest feels about her name. But this is not a psychology podcast, or at least not strictly a psychology podcast, so I'm not going to talk about any more the greatness of our names, and also I don't want anyone to feel bad if their name isn't as cool as Emily. So I'm going to introduce our guest. Emily is a soul-searching joy creator with a raw passion for helping others to shine. She earned a teaching certificate and BA in psychology from Wheaton College and a master's of education in counseling from Plymouth State. She has taught and traveled all over the planet from Alaska to Istanbul and the USDI to the Czech Republic. As a certified life coach, she has integrated her favorite elements from every profession position, teaching, counseling, speaking, meeting new people, and affecting positive change. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you, Miss Emily. I'm super stoked to be here, and I agree with you about the name thing. Slam dunk. Yeah. Do you know what our name means? (laughs) I don't. What does it mean? Okay, once you know this, it's going to explain everything to you. It means industrious or hardworking. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's like a blessing and a curse. Oh, that's funny. It means gritty and never yes. going to let go. <laughs> exactly. Stick to itedness. Um, so, Emily, I, I looked through your website and I saw a lot of amazing client testimonials talking about the work you do and how you help them. And I also found your whole story on there. But I thought, you know, why would I read your whole story? Because I can't do it justice. So I'd love for you to start us off by telling us what you do for work and a little bit more about how you got into it. Gotcha. I actually think I might have 
met my match with somebody who has had as many different job titles as I have. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah, it, right. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. So when I, um, I have a, from Wheaton College as an undergrad, I got my teaching certificate in elementary ed, and I studied psychology. But it's interesting because when I was in college, I had decided I want to do something totally different every summer. My dad had a retail shop in downtown Laconia for 37 years. So it was extremely easy to default to working for him on school vacations and summers and Christmas and all that. Um, so I was super intentional. I don't think I even knew the, the, the grand idea of setting intentions, but it was just a good idea, you know, kind of cool um, that I was going to do something different every summer. So after my freshman year at Wheaton, I lived in Petersburg, Alaska. When I got to Petersburg, I worked for the Department of Ed with a sweet little autist boy who had just been diagnosed as autistic, and I worked in a health food store. And then after my sophomore year at Wheaton, I was a camp counselor in Istanbul, Turkey. So it was a day camp. There were seven of us from Wheaton that went over. Uh, so we were camp counselors by day and partied like rock stars in the evenings and did a lot of backpacking down the coast of Turkey after our summer camp was over. And then after my junior year, I rented a beach house on Cape Cod, drank my face off. Um, we all waitressed and had you know, seasonal gigs. And then after I graduated from college, um, all these phenomenal people that I was graduating with were scurrying around frantically looking for a teaching gig in a school so they could like start adulthood, start life, start careers. And I'm not really big into commitment. <laughs> and I know how schools work that once you, once you are in a school district, it's unlike any other industry, you sort of get locked in. Um, so I thought I need to still travel. Like I got a bug for this now. So I taught English in the Czech Republic for a year. And back then, 97, 98, um, there are 100,000 people in Hradec Králova, the town that I lived in. And I was the only person from North America. So it was a totally different time then. This is before cell phones or email that people were using. So it was a lot of choose your own adventure every day. Um, that was phenomenal. I loved it. And then after that year of teaching, I knew I wanted to continue to teach and travel. So I taught for these educational consultants and I went into schools for two to four months at a time. So I was at Blair Academy in Blairstown, New Jersey. Then I was in Beirut, Lebanon at, at International College. I left Beirut and went to the U.S. Virgin Islands in St. Thomas. And then my final commitment, I guess, my final teaching gig was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then... And then I decided I gotta not live out of a suitcase. I'm, I'm ready to make friends uh, for more of a long term instead of teaching and traveling and going and doing and seeing. So I started working in a prep school. So instead of me going internationally, all those kids came to campus. So I taught at Cardigan Mountain School for three years, which I don't know if you know Cardigan, it's an all boys middle school, boarding school, and every day. I think my inner child is actually a seventh grade boy, but every day I would say, okay, now I've heard it all. Like now I've heard it all. Okay. So I, I need to hear an example. Oh my gosh. Um, there's like so much. Uh, so even like 
Okay, so perfect example. Freshman, it wasn't freshman orientation, but it was the first week of, of school. This is actually not as dorky middle school, but it's one of those stories that stuck with me. This beautiful boy, Anthony, um, grew up and lived in the Bronx, and he um, is now in prep school, and he is a city kid. So at the very beginning of the school year, we take all the kids into study halls in the academic buildings. So they're studying so we can monitor them more easily and create those habits right out of the gate. And we were walking back from study hall one night and Anthony, this is the very beginning of the school year, his first year at Cardigan. And he stopped dead in his tracks and he says, look, it's like what? Stars. I thought stars were just in the movies. It's like, no, no, like no. that's what happens when you don't have light pollution. So it's like, it's amazing. I mean, that's not, that's not a goofy middle school boy story, but it's one of those like, huh, like how interesting we can take that stuff for granted. So yeah, I mean, they're good kids. And then that's when I started my master's degree. And then after, after I earned my master's in counseling, I had a few different jobs. Um, this is going to sound so arrogant, but it's true that when I was finishing up my master's, I was, uh, I'm like cringing thinking about it. I wanted to save the world. I wanted to heal the world. I wanted to go out there and make magic happen. So I had to think about what is the most vulnerable population I can think of. So I ended up being uh, on the clinical staff at a treatment facility for adjudicated boys. So all of them are court ordered to be there and they are um, sex offenders and fire starters and they'd already exhausted the juvenile justice system. So I was doing group therapy every afternoon and then I had individual kids on my caseload. And after, I don't know, eight or nine months, I was getting wicked stomach aches on my way to work. And then I had this like, you know, angels singing moment where I realized my job is not to heal the world. My job is to love the world. And I need to get out of here. Like this is, this is, I'm, I'm not having organic empathy here. This is, this is me being arrogant and egocentric thinking that the world needs me. So since, you know, that was years ago, probably 20 years ago that I have really shifted my perspective from just, I'm just here to love. That's it. That's what all of us on this planet are here to do. We are here to love and be loved and live in community and takes the pressure off saving the world and it takes the pressure off like doing grand things and you can just do that in your everyday world. Um, tell me a little bit what the differences are in when you approach it from I can save the world to I'm just here to love the world. Right. So it's, I suppose it's the difference between your ego and your spirit, right? That it's, it's not my responsibility to do anything but take care of my own thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And from my core, I, I believe that we can, we can affect just as much change by being a compassionate human being as we can in any sort of leadership position. And I think that that's probably my, you know, middle class background that it's all about um, leadership and community service and making the world a better place. And the, all of that is extremely important. But I think we 
overvalue that and undervalue that just by being kind and practicing compassion that that's really where that's really where all the change happens right that's where we feel connected and appreciated and respected and it's not from the outside it's just it's just an inside job so how did you transition that epiphany into becoming an entrepreneur um still transitioning <laughs> Um, so I, my last job, so I worked as the director of Christian ed at a church, Congregational Church of Laconia, United Church of Christ, for five years. Um, and then I was a high school guidance counselor for five years. And now I've been coaching since the spring of 2014. And I think what happened is, is in the world of counseling, a therapist wants to get your backstory to figure out how you became who you are. Tell me about your family and what was school like for you? And what about your social relationships or your intimate relationships? And a therapist is gathering that whole backstory so they can diagnose and help you. And to me, as a life coach, I call bullshit. Like we have a story, but it doesn't dictate where you're going. We have a story, but you're the only one keeping it alive. So instead as a life coach, I want, I want to know what excites you, what inspires you, where are you going? What brings you joy? Like, let's figure out how we can create more of that in your life. So when I was leaving the counseling world professionally, it was a very easy transition to shift from counseling to coaching, but I'd never owned my own business. So I, um, maybe like you, Emily, my industrious friend, um, I left my traditional job with salary and benefits with zero coaching clients, zero, because I don't dabble. No, no. <laughs> this girl goes head first, <laughs> all in, all in. So for me, the transition was about me being, um, industrious, like being, being gritty to be like, all right, I did it. Like I, I did it. I left my job. Well, obviously it was a teaching, not obviously it was a teaching job. So obviously I didn't leave until June, but when I left in June, I didn't have any clients. So then that's when you hustle, you say, all right, what are the resources available to me? All right, I'll join the chamber of commerce. Oh, there's a free course at small businesses administration. Oh, the Center for Women in Enterprise has an online series. Oh, I could go do this and that. And so for me, it was um, getting gritty to make it all happen. Do you remember where that first client came from? Yes, actually. Yes. Yes, I do. Because um, I was both of her kids' guidance counselor. And she and her kids, we had a great relationship. And um, so she came to me and she's like, I think I need a life coach. And I'm like, looking left, looking right, looking left, looking right. Like, fuck, she's talking to me. <laughs> I was, I was taken off guard in that way that like, I did it. Like, this is really my business. Like, how am I going to present myself? How am I going to show up? Um, so she was my first client and she asked me, well, how much do you charge? And I'm not sure if this happens to other entrepreneurs, but when you're new, the conversation about money is extraordinarily uncomfortable. And I think knowing how much you should charge versus how much you want to charge 
is there's a discrepancy, especially at the beginning. Um, so that maybe is part of what contributes to it being uncomfortable. Totally, totally. And I think part of it is, you know, we don't talk about money in Northern New England. And certainly as women, I think that our gift is taking care of others without expectation and we're good at it. So now all of a sudden I've been this helper in a healer for 20 plus years professionally, and now I'm doing it for pay. So anyway, she's sitting, she's sitting in front of me and she's like, well, how much do you charge? And I cut my price in half. And then I was like insecure about it. Like, well, but if that's too much, don't worry, we can work something out. <laughs> and now I laugh. Someone once told me that most people don't care like what you say that number is. They just want you to say a number and be confident about it. <laughs> what do you think about that? Totally, totally. And you learn that with time, right? None of us are seasoned out of the gate. Right. So did you worry about finances? Is that finances at that time? Was it a concern when you were getting started? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I um, am a homeowner. So my mortgage company doesn't care about manifesting joy. <laughs> my mortgage company wants to get paid up front every month in full non-negotiation. So, so part of me thought maybe I'll get a part-time job to augment it. But then part of me was like, no, because if I'm all in, I'm all in. Um, but definitely, even now, sometimes um, as an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, this is like too much work. Yeah. Do you ever think about going and getting a real job and a paycheck? Maybe twice a day. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't because I'm not sure if you feel this way, but as a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I feel like a vampire who has tasted blood and it's like, now it's insatiable. The freedom is insatiable. The life on my terms, work on my terms is insatiable. So the idea of going to work for somebody else's job description on their time frame, no, no, nope. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I can't even put pants on every day. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to tell you that I'm wearing leggings right now. <laughs> um, I just, I just went to the Rotary in Milford, New Hampshire, and told them my entrepreneurial story I was invited to share. And I said that finally, after I think 27 jobs that I've worked in my life, I learned the lesson, okay, you need to start your own business. Like I had never felt where I was supposed to be working for other people. And I just kept going and going and going and wondering why I didn't like it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I hear you. Yep. But at the same time, yeah. that steady paycheck sometimes seems really, really attractive when times get tough. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting because I've done, um, well, I think I've always done pretty non-traditional things. Um, but I rented out my upstairs through Airbnb for three years. And it's like, I love the stories. I love people. I love to know why were people coming to Laconia, New Hampshire? Who are you? How are, you know, like it, it was always good to have conversation over a cup of coffee with total strangers in the morning. Like I love that, but I definitely made a lot of money doing that. And then 
another thing that I did, so public speaking is uh, my greatest joy. It is where I have the most fun, where it's the most playful, where I feel like I can affect more change on the global, on a, on a, from a global place uh, instead of individual coaching. And I wanted to get better at public speaking. So I became a justice of the peace and officiated weddings. Oh, fun. And so to me, it was so fun, but to me, it was like, you know, you ask yourself all these questions at, when you own your own business or in any forum of your existence. Like, all right, if I want to get better at public speaking, what are the opportunities? What are the resources? And I could have, but didn't join a Toastmasters Club because it's like, eh, <laughs> I, I think I want to do this on my terms. So thinking about all of that, I love ritual and ceremony and gatherings and community and family and friends and tradition. Like, duh, like being a justice of the peace was like a perfect fit. So I've done, you know, 50 weddings in a few years and I, I still have my JP license, I guess it's called certificate. Um, but now I am in the middle of a gypsy tour for the year 2020. So I am not able to officiate weddings from where I am in Charleston, South Carolina. You can really make a huge difference in someone's life if you're a good JP. Like ours saved the day on the wedding day. She just made us feel calm and helped us. Like she told our story because she did such a good job of getting it out of us and then weaving it mm -hmm. into like this beautiful ceremony. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about your gypsy tour and also what you like to share from the stage because I want to get into that. Yes, uh, I, I facilitate a membership called Midlife Redefine and it's for women at a pivot point. <laughs> so law of attraction says, <laughs> uh, so I uh, put my house on the market in September um, because I was ready to to make real changes. And so here I am facilitating this membership and I'm helping women get crystal clear about what does it look and feel like, not just look like, but feel like to live an extraordinary life. And so for me, I felt like I'd become stagnant. And if you, if you do the math on that resume, you'll notice that I don't stick around anywhere for more than five years. And I'd been in my house for 11 years, beautiful New Englander in uh, Laconia, New Hampshire. And it was just time that especially with public speaking, there's this understanding, same act, different audience, same act, different audience. And what I had done, same act, same audience. Now I'm scrambling to come up with new content for the same audience and scrambling for new content for the same audience. Um, I have a, a beautiful group of people that show up to everything I offer. So um, it felt like all the elements were lined up that I was starting to get ants in my pants in Laconia, my hometown, and I was ready to grow my speaking business and my audience and practice what I preach and be in my experience, my own midlife redefine. So I jumped in the car and drove a thousand miles south um, to be in, I'm in Mount Pleasant, but the Charleston, South Carolina area. And I'm here for a couple of months. Um, and then I will make my way back up to New Hampshire for summer. All eight minutes of it. Nice. Did you sell your home in Laconia? You can believe it. It went under contract last night. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're not closing till the end of next month. So 
I still have like a heart pounding wobbly stomach. Um, but yes, yes, it is. It is under agreement, girlfriend. Congratulations. I was just up there last week and it is beautiful. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the work you do. Like, tell me what your favorite thing is. Favorite thing about working with the people that you do or the favorite message that keeps repeating itself that you get to dive into with people. Right. Um, you must notice this too. It's always interesting what people, what their takeaway is. So, so I mean, I would do it in an individual coaching session, um, but in bigger stages, um, I will ask people like, what was, if you only remember one thing, what's it going to be? And it's fascinating because I think people have a belief that what will make them happy is the stuff and things, but really your emotions um, are your point of attraction. So I didn't explain that very well. So, so basically when you are, when you are happy, healthy, and whole, you have a happy, healthy, and whole life experience. But what we have this belief that if I pay off my debt, then I'll be happy. If I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. If my spouse and I repair our relationship, then I'll be happy. So we're constantly putting off um, joy or wholeness or feeling happy or confident until something else happens. And I think that my the one of my favorite things, and it's not even that I teach, but it's just woven into everything, is that your emotional state is your is that's what's create that's what creates your life right so if you're um uh joyful grateful you're connected you're laughing you're having fun you feel appreciated and respected you uh wake up with passion you feel like your days are purposeful then you are living an extraordinary life whereas if you are filled with uh, fear, resentment, worry, doubt, insecurity, rage, then then that is the life you've created for yourself. So the knowing that your emotions are your set point, your emotions are your life. Your emotions are exactly what is reflective of the quality of life that you have. So now I want to ask you this, and if you don't want to answer this question, that's okay. But have you ever gone through something in your life when you didn't, you, you seem very joyful to me. Okay. So did you ever have a time in your life when that was not the case and you were seeing life through this lens that you're talking about of being depressed and angry and et cetera? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, <laughs> we practice or we teach what we need to learn, right? So I would say I'm, I'm longest term client. <laughs> um, I think it was about three years ago, four years ago, three years ago, um, that I feel like for me, I hit rock bottom. And, you know, I felt like I had, I'd been coaching for a couple of years. I thought it would be more successful by now. When does this get easy? This is so hard. I'm so tired of being a good kid. Like, blah, 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 blah. And um, I was in an extremely toxic relationship. Uh, he's a dangerous fellow and he is an addict. And I think that for me, I've always been attracted to the fun party boy, um, always. And 
it got to the point where that fun party boy, you know, he's a fun drunk, but you know what? He's still a drunk. Um, so when I was in this place, it was, uh, you know, I was trying to convince myself, this isn't really who I am, but this is, I'm just like so tired of being working so hard, working so hard, and I can finally let loose and him and his friends don't give a shit about, you know, my business metrics. So it just got uh, really, the drinking got really out of control for a couple of, a while, a stretch. Except that, except that I've always been a big drinker, like always. And I've always said, um, you know, I'm going to do sober October. I'm going to do dry December. I'm going to do like, I used to have sticker charts that when I was, if I didn't have alcohol in a day, I'd put a sticker on the chart and I'd always want like, okay, I'm not going to drink during the week. Like my point is I was always bargaining, always, you know, um, or defending or arguing or justifying drinking or not drinking. So I think that this guy that I was dating was so extraordinarily toxic that then it was a, a come to Jesus kind of moment where it was like, all right, no more dabbling, no more dabbling. So I gave up booze and I counted every single day that I had not um, had a drink. And I got to, I think like day 104. And I was like, all right, I proved my point. Like I don't need to do that anymore. And then I started drinking again. And then it was a thousand times worse than before. Um, so it was October, 2017 that I said, enough is enough. Like I am an extremist. I cannot do freaking sticker charts. <laughs> like what? 44 years old. So, so I decided that if I'm really going to make a commitment to letting go of all the toxic nonsense that, uh, has a chokehold on me or that, uh, if I don't wake up feeling comfortable and confident for whatever I did or said last night, then this is, this is no longer a gray area. I have to just stop. So anyway, so then I quit drinking and I lost a lot of friends because that's what we do, right? Martini Tuesday, wine down Wednesday, thirsty Thursday, and then suddenly it's the weekend. Um, so it, it was interesting how my friendship dynamics shifted. Uh, and now, now I feel like uh, I don't even, I don't, I definitely don't miss it. I definitely can't go back there. But I think that for me, alcohol has been uh, a fiery wall that I built around myself to keep myself safe. The same thing that being overweight my whole life, that the extra weight has kept me safe. The same way sarcasm, like, no, no, no. I will, I will beat you to the punch every time. Um, sarcasm has kept me safe. So that fiery wall um, makes it nearly impossible for me to be vulnerable. So since I stopped drinking, um, I have been a work in progress practicing being more vulnerable and real and authentic and asking for help and um, speaking the truth. Not the people pleasing, not that I want you to like me, not that I don't want you to be mad at me, not that I don't want to look incompetent, so I'll figure all this stuff out on my own, but instead just like... Uh, I guess putting out that fire. I mean, sarcasm, I don't think has ever been particularly attractive, but like all that stuff is just gone. And now it just feels like, oh, 
That's weird. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of all numbing techniques as to what's really going on, right? So when you take away the numbing techniques, you just have to sit there and feel what you're feeling and work through that. So did you have any mentors helping you during that time? Um, I've been to plenty of AA meetings. I um, don't go now. I haven't been in a long time. Um, and it's funny because when I first went to AA a long time ago, I was telling myself I was doing it as a scare tactic. Like, is this what you want your life to look like, Emily? <laughs> but really, that was another little mask because I was like, oh, I want to know. Like, what are other people dealing with? How how are they not drinking every day? So, um, and I don't know how you qualify alcoholism. I know it was a problem. I don't know about a chemical dependency, but... I know that it wasn't working for me. So that I would say was a backbone for a bit. And Tony Robbins, I am a Tony Robbins student. I've been to a lot of his live events. I worked with one of his coaches. So his teaching, his presentation, his tactics, I love. Um, He's really into neuro-linguistic programming. So he is all about rewiring how we experience life changing our physical state and our um, language and our focus, which all the stuff that I teach and I love him as a teacher. Uh, And then certainly I am part of a mastermind group. There's eight of us that are all women entrepreneurs who support and love each other, hold each other accountable, ask good questions. I mean, somebody always ends up crying. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, It's, it's hard and fast and it's soft and sweet, right? I think I heard about that group recently. Is that with Leslie? It is. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, she was telling me about it. It sounds awesome. It's just like a whole little founder's circle of people that she put on her team with her and, or, or they all joined her team. Um, it sounds really great. Yeah, I think we all need that. So, all right, tell me the, I mean, maybe you can put, you don't need to do just one if you can't think of just one, but what do you think is the most valuable lesson that you've learned, let's say from the time you quit that teaching job until now? It's probably about asking for help, I think, because that vulnerable people don't, (laughs) I don't do that. I don't need any help. I'm all set. Oh, no, trust me. I can't even ask my husband to help me vacuum the house on a day when I'm cleaning it. I'm like, no, I have to do it all myself. (laughs) That's so funny. I actually, I listened to your podcast about that. And then like how you took a whole day to clean and then you get your husband's help. And it's like, oh, Oh, so much easier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, but it's the big stuff asking for help. Like I hired a bookkeeper. Like, I can't do that. That's not my zone of genius. I don't like it. I can't figure out where that page was. Where did I find that button a minute ago? Like, so I have been able to now, after whatever it is, five or six years, been able to hire people to do specific things. And even that I felt guilty about because I thought I should be able to figure this out. And so for me, um, asking for help has been huge. And Quite honestly, I, and I don't know if this is true, but this is my perception. I think I've taken my business as far as it can possibly go as a one woman show. 
So if I want to scale my business, I have got to hire more people who do the one thing for me or the two or three things for me. And that's it. I want this. And that's one of my big goals for 2020 is to build a team because I can't be good at all this stuff and I'm getting in my own way. So the pride thing, I've let go of the pride thing. Um, but it, it's all tied together with the vulnerability. I mean, I know you're a Brene Brown fan also. Um, but that whole idea that vulnerability is so brave. And for me, I was so unwilling. You know, I taught in Beirut, Lebanon by myself. I got off the airplane at midnight. And it it occurred to me as I'm getting my bags that I never booked a hotel. Oh, no. So I'm like walking over to a line of cab drivers whispering, do you speak English? Do you speak English? And so like this beautiful cab driver took my bags, brought me to a hotel, let, let me left me in the car, went in and asked if there was any room. There wasn't. Went to the next hotel. He set me all up. He was like such a beautiful human being. So for whatever reason, going to Beirut, Lebanon and teaching by myself as a blonde-ish uh, Westerner, that didn't scare me at all. But asking for help, <laughs> that scared the poopers out of me. Like it's not, it's not even proportionate. It's not even proportioned. Um, so what's something you wish you knew from day one in your business? And maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's that you should have asked for help. Um, yes, but bigger than that, uh, how, especially as a new business owner, and people would tell me this, but I had to learn it for myself, is um, people would invite me to speak at their events and they would just say, this is, we can't pay you, but this is great exposure. This is great exposure. And I would leave like so frustrated, like how do people make money? Like, I don't want great exposure. I want cash. Like I, I have bills to pay. And so people would give me- Yeah, bills don't pay themselves no. with great exposure, thanks. Right, no kidding. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a single woman who owned a, I'm, I still own the home um, as a homeowner. So I don't have another source of income like at all. I am responsible for all of it. The finances, mowing the lawn, cleaning the bathrooms, like it doesn't matter. So um, what I wish I knew from day one is I really was planting seeds <laughs> and that I don't need to get frustrated because it's amazing after a couple of years, how many people have reached out to do bigger, better, more grand things with me because of that free workshop I gave in the clubhouse down at, you know, the Parks and Rec Hall. So I think that that, that, was, um, that was something that I thought, this is nonsense. I can't keep volunteering all my time. But now I realize those were like beautiful seeds that I was planting and I have been harvesting and harvesting and harvesting in such an incredible way. So I wish I had given it more credit instead of feeling a little jaded that I was, you know. So I definitely needed to hear that just now. And I know that other people that hear this, it's going to be like a huge revelation for them. So there's this graphic going around on Facebook or something with a carrot, two bunnies with a carrot. And one of them has his hand on like this little tiny sprig. And under the ground, what you can't see is there's this giant carrot mm. attached to that sprig. And the other bunny has his hand on 
this giant leaf and under the ground it's attached to like this little tiny carrot and the one with the giant leaf is bragging about how mm. amazing the growth is and the one with the little sprig is like well what's wrong with me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so yeah that's really good yeah and it's it's wild too because because now i have you know a online membership community and i have digital courses and public speaking has been picking up more and more momentum and so many of the people that are engaged were the ones from the early days when I was, <laughs> and so, so I, I, I'm maybe not embarrassed, but I, I cringe a little bit because it's like, oh, I mean, I was always grateful. I think my baseline for gratitude is pretty high. Like I give thanks and praise all day, every day that I get to be in this earth suit, in this lifetime, in this community. Like it is by the grace of God that I'm here. Like. So, so that part isn't lost on me, but I think I was so um, hyper-focused on making money because that's how you measure a successful business. And so I, I, had, I wish now that um, I had other markers to, to measure that and that people culturally were supportive of that. Yeah. And let's just take that concept back to what you said in the beginning about how the things are not necessarily what makes you successful. Mm -hmm. It's about the attitude you approach life with and the way that you feel when you're doing the things and having the things. Yes. Totally. Yeah. I love that. Um, All right. Tell us what you have coming up, because I know you have something on the radar, and also how we can find and connect with you online and work with you. Perfect. Uh, Yes. So hopefully we all have something coming up. Um, My membership site is called Midlife Redefined, and it is for women at a pivot point. And I only open doors a couple times a year because I'm still the one woman show who can't be in marketing mode all the time, right? So uh, Midlife Redefine, I have it. uh, Doors are gonna open March 19th. Um, We'll start with, uh, I'll be giving out information. It's beautiful and it is practical information that you can implement immediately. So Midlife Redefine, doors open at the end of March. And then um, I would highly suggest that people jump on the wait list now. You can go in, download a free workbook. It can start to give you a, a vibe for what the content is. And so much of it is so practical. And it's not something more to do, but it's something to integrate into what you're already doing. Um, so Midlife Redefined uh, membership opens at the end of March. And I'd love for people to jump on the wait list, Emily Clement lifecoach.com and I also- did you know that March 19th is the first day of spring and a new moon do you know that's how I plan all my launches oh sorry no <laughs> <laughs> but I'm totally getting on that oh so it's so funny all of my every single one of my launches straddles uh the first day of the season and the new moon so doors open although I don't know if that's the new moon is that the new moon Um, I think so. Meg Staples from Her Tribe Athletics just told me yesterday and my events on March 19th. So I was also excited. Yep. So I, um, all of my launches are on the moon cycle, all of them, right? Because the new moon is a beautiful time for setting intentions. The new moon is about new beginnings and rebirth and growth. 
And then, whereas the full moon is a time to let go and release and purge. So all of my launches are aligned with the beginning of a season and the new moon. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Super. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.